Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 22, where we talk with Logan Karcher of Burnt Hill Cattle Company. This is what God's blessed me with to work with, so I'm going to try to use it to its best potential. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. I'm Cal Hardich, your host, and on today's episode, we have Logan Karcher, a Burnt Hill Cattle Company. We talk through a wide variety of topics today, from bucking bulls to sheep wrestling, cover crops, and sheep economics. I think you're going to enjoy it. Before we get to Logan, if you listen to this episode and find value in it, please share it with someone. We are a small podcast, but we're growing, and we appreciate all of you listening. Logan, we're excited to have you on the Grazing Grass Podcast. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I appreciate it. it uh, it's really an honor to be on here and, and uh, you know, just, just get the word out there about regenerative ag and, and grazing and, and different practices that people are doing across the, the country, really. And, uh, it, you know, it, it's really, really a good thing that what you're doing here. Well, thank you. And Logan, can you tell us a little bit about you and your operation? Yes. So I'm Logan Karcher, uh, owner and operator of Burnt Hill Cattle Company. We are in Southern Illinois, about a uh, hundred miles east of St. Louis. Um, so just, just pretty much the not quite the far south southern tip, but we're 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 down there a ways. So uh, what we do, um, we run a small operation of pasture pork, grass-fed lamb, and then uh, all natural uh, beef is what what we're focusing on. We uh, we dabble in some chickens, whether it's uh, pasture poultry or uh, you know uh, pasture eggs or or uh, egg layers. So. That's uh, depending on the uh, season is we kind of fluctuate with our chickens. Um, I guess what uh, where it all started with us, um, I you could say that I'm probably a third generation uh, farmer here on the property that we're that we're running on now. It uh, my grandma and grandpa bought the place back in I th- believe it was '62, and uh, anyway, there's a. Uh, several acres there that he was row cropping and running a cow-calf operation on. He uh, focused on uh, uh, Hereford cattle is what he was running, and it was all very conventional. You know, I think the most forward-thinking at that time was uh, no-tilling, and, you know, he, he did practice no-tilling on a lot of his acres, and we're on some rolling hills there, so even, even no-tilling really wasn't the best idea for some of them rolling hills you know we, we still fought a road and all of that them times so oh yeah you know fast forward to me growing up as a kid uh i grew up around you know uh we we had actually wool sheep at that time and uh small cow calf herd there and uh, we stayed in you know my grandpa passed in 99 so after that uh, we put pretty much all the pasture acres but at that time maybe 10 acres was in CRP. Just uh, uh, my the, my uncles all had and my dad all had in town jobs, so they didn't have time to run the farm and keep up with it. I was too young, um, so yeah, they just thought it was best, you know, to put that in CRP, which it is still in to this day, a majority of it. Um, so you know, as as those contracts come out, we are putting those back into pastures and trying to rebuild that soil life, because you know they sit and. Not had nothing done to them for oh shoot probably at least 20 years now majority of them so you know that that uh those forages and that soil has just been pretty stagnant you know we we clip them or bush hog them once a year like we're supposed to and that, that's about just of it so they're there there's a lot of grass there but it's not got a lot of value to it i went to so like i said i showed 4-h uh i showed uh pigs and cows or steers and um and some lambs and different things like that and that's really where I kind of would, always was in different uh, classes of livestock, I guess you could say. And I bought some, uh, actually, originally cows I bought were some registered black 
Angus uh, cows, and I was using their calves and you know showing. Oh yes. Um, and at that point in time, as far as grazing wise, um, I would rotate the few small pastures that we had, but it was a very basic rotation, uh, more or less, maybe once a month, move them off of one pasture to the next. There was no, there was no idea of stock density or, or daily moves. Um, I was doing good to move them once a month. So anyway, all of our pastures were obviously severely overgrazed. Um, but I just, you know, feeding hay pretty much from November to, to April and that's that's kind of what I had seen done and didn't really know any better to be honest uh, nothing against right anybody around me it's just this idea wasn't even talked about or even a thought to anyone in my area at that time um, so then I guess uh, from there I went to uh, Murray State to college there and got a bachelor's in animal science and then I thought well I barely wanted to go to college and then I ended up getting my master's on top of not even originally wanting to go to college. <laughs> and I got it and a master's of science in ag. Okay. And uh, I really focused on uh, animal science and reproduction is, is what my focus to my graduate work was. Anyway, so, so when I was at Murray, all of this regenerative ag or mob grazing. Now, one thing, Logan. Yes. Murray State, so you went to Murray State University, correct? That's correct. Where is that located? That is in Murray, Kentucky. Murray, Kentucky. So it's probably about an hour south of Paducah, I would say, right there. The reason I bring it up, uh, you went to Murray State University. We have a Murray State College in Oklahoma. Same name, just it's except the college portion versus university portion for you. It's a smaller regional college about i don't know four hours from me okay i'll be darned. just a tangent yep. there uh so yeah i say uh, this is in <laughs> kentucky yep for sure so it was about uh, it's about probably two and a half hours from where i grew up oh yeah so it wasn't really too far of a travel so you went to college at, at murray state and you start getting exposed to regenerative agricultural ideas that is correct. Um, so we had uh, a lot of the professors on the animal science side was really involved on the, they all had their own farms, you know, aside from, from teaching at the university. And uh, they was all really involved in this. Uh, I guess my main mentor uh, at, at the university would have been Dr. Jim Davis. He, uh, had, he was actually in Tennessee, which Murray is just, oh, it's 30 minutes from the Tennessee border. And he had a small farm there. Oh you know, yeah. And uh, so it was it was great to to have someone that had been in in regenerative ag, which it really wasn't called that at that time. You know, um, he he always referred to it just mob grazing, uh, or as far as that practice. So uh, you know, he he probably had oh probably six to eight years under his belt of, of doing these practices, and. He was learning kind of with us, I guess you could say, as he built his farm. And, and he was always eager to have students that were really interested in raising livestock this way to come out to his farm, uh, pass around ideas, you know, help him build fence, talk about water uh, infrastructure. And, um, you know, just having him and, and being around him to work with him would really kind of, I guess, put me in the right path to go down this road. Um, so, you know... <clears throat> Right as soon as I graduated with my master's, that would have been the, I believe, the fall of 2015. I'm sorry, the spring of 2015. Anyway, I went spring of 2015. I went to uh, our fir my very first grazing school. Um, I actually went with Dr. Davis, and uh, he's the one that took me down there. It was at a ranch in Tennessee, and the, the speaker there was was uh, Ian Mitchell Inez um, from South Africa. Oh, yes. It was a three-day school, I believe. Um, and, and what was neat, because I was learning all of this stuff, or just graduated from all of this stuff, um, and our classes, and then going straight to an actual grazing school, I had a lot of stuff that was fresh on my mind. 
a lot of questions that I could ask, and he's bringing in even more real-world practices that I could really think about how I can implement when I get home or when I go on to a job. So that, that was really nice to be able to do that. And two, when I was, you know, I, I left this out, when I was at Murray, I was able to work on the university farm, which all this stuff was taking place as well, along with other research. Um, so that was really a great opportunity. But uh, so anyway, I, I left the grazing school, went back home for about three or four months, and then actually got a job on a, on a fairly good-sized ranch in Missouri. Um, when I was there, I, I wasn't there maybe six months altogether, just enough to cat out a whole bunch of heifers and do some fall work. But oh, yeah, it was really a, it was really a cool time. And, um, anyway, so it was nice there because me personally, well, each employee was kind of in charge of a certain herd at this location. So, you know, as long as the, the, the heifers in this situation were staying in condition, staying healthy, as far as grazing practices, you had your certain pastures that you were taking care of. So I did my best to try to move the group um, as much as I could but in this situation it was such a big the the owner and managers weren't going to really put in a lot of time and money on a new thing that some new employee just brought to them you know they had some ideas about it but you know it's not right. like I had just a whole bunch of step in posts and poly wire and and people saying oh just run this water and you know change it however you need to it wasn't that way but I did as best as I could so um, like I say, I was only there six months because I got a great opportunity to move back home and man. Oh, and, and I'm like I say, that's been yeah, that's been five years ago, and I'm still working here. So I guess you could say I have an off farm job, but my off farm job is running cattle regeneratively. Very nice. And working, and we have uh, half of our farm is actually in row crop, and we we cash rent that out. So it and the per, the gentleman that farms that for us is really easy to work with. So even on our crop ground, we're still able to put some cover crops in and utilize that to do some winter um, or late fall, early spring grazing. So anyway, so yeah, um, like I said, I moved back to start this job and really kind of was able to take off doing some some really intense grazing uh, the the owner of the place that I manage here is super involved in regenerative ag uh, loves all the ideas just supports everything that we can do to to build soil life and improve our forages so that helps me out a lot having that back and uh, and we're able to do some pretty cool things uh, with us working together oh very good and on that farm you have beef cattle and then you have beef cattle on your farm as well correct yes that's correct so when i moved home at 16 we were actually you know i was able to do a lot of regenerative ag uh, grazing and practices here at the my job and then at my home place and farm well, at that time, I was really not able to do much because we was raising and hauling bucking bulls all over the place. And, uh, oh, you know, okay. we had, uh, yeah, we had uh, big rider bulls, little fraternity calves, cows. I mean, we had uh, quite the soiree of rodeo stock. And um, not all of them were the tamest. So to say that you could move them every day with poly wire is pretty much a joke and would have not worked at all. So... <laughs> I was kind of getting my my grazing fix, I guess, at my everyday job, and then coming home, and you know, uh, most of these bulls and, and stuff was realistically in a uh, feedlot situation. You know, we was you know we was feeding because the rations, you know, the 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 feed rations and hay quality that they needed to perform to their best potential was quite a bit different than just an old brood cow. Oh yes. So, you know, we was feeding them different passions for, for, for different events and so on and so forth. So, so I guess, and you know, we was gone doing that probably every other weekend. And we did that for about four or five years. And finally got to the point of, I was tired of buying and feeding all this fancy feed and hay. And, and I was really seeing some great 
um, results here at the farm that I manage. And I really wanted my own place to be like that. And I, we were, you know, uh, we were just destroying pasture, you know, and it, it just wasn't, wasn't doing right. So between that and me tired of being gone all the time, I thought, you know, there's got to be a, a better deal. So that's actually when I ended up uh, getting, you know, selling off all the bulls and start buying some commercial cows and trying to graze properly, I guess, or what I thought at that time. So, you know, moving forward a little bit, I thought, man, I just, I'm really going to focus on cows and cow-calf operation and try to just run just as many cows as I can afford to do and just cows, cows, cows. That's all I could think about and was focused on. Um, and then December 2018, I was actually able to buy my grandparents' house and, and they had some few barns there and um, pretty good-sized corral and working facility there. <clears throat> and uh, anyway, it came with 40 acres. Oh, very nice. Is what, uh, what I purchased all that time so I thought you know I, and at this point I thought 40 acres is exactly how many cows I can run and without with feeding minimal hay and was really trying to think you know I, I thought I was thinking outside the box by trying to run these cows regeneratively but in hindsight I wasn't I was in this cow calf idea box and I was stuck there for probably a year or so and I you know and I, I was doing fine, you know, I was being profitable um, at the very kind of minimum, I guess you could say. And then one day I was out moving cows and it kind of occurred to me, you know, <clears throat> we've got the 40 acres there. And since then I've, I've leased another 25. So we're, we're grazing 65 acres now, still not a whole lot. But I thought, you know, this is what God's blessed me with to work with. So I'm going to try to use it to its best potential. So with that being said, I started looking into hair sheep. Oh, yes. Um, I had been quite experienced with sheep in the past, just wool, show lambs is what they was. And um, so this is going to be a little different, but I had done substantial research um, and, and number figuring on, you know, whether it was going to be profitable, what type of breed to use. You know, you know, I, I put quite a bit of effort in and, you know, seeing if it was going to work before I did it. And no matter how I figured it, and even to this day, I'm looking at expanding my sheep flock. It, it only, it, it makes so much sense with what I have on my place. So we are, you know, out of the 65 acres, there's probably, I would say 15 acres for sure, if not 20, that's in um, wooded ground. So, you know, that's, and I was, I originally started um, trying to bush hog through those woods, and it's not a thick woods, you know, it's kind of, uh, I don't know how you would call it, but it's, you know, it's kind of more open to where you can get around. Oh, yes. And, uh, and now, you know, I was spending a lot of this time and money brush hogging all of the underbrush and you name it. Um, and then I got my sheep, and I haven't uh, brush hogged any any underbrush since oh, very good yeah it's it's really phenomenal i've got some videos and pictures and stuff on facebook that i've posted and uh, i tell you so i've been i've had my sheep flock for about a year and a half now i guess and man oh man i just love them to death i really do they're they're so easy they're profitable they 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 work so well with the cows that i have and so I'm like, okay, this is great. <clears throat> I got a great combination. I got my cows, herd, and I got my sheep flock. And uh, I actually, minus lambing, I run my cows and my sheep together. Oh, yes. Uh, there are some times I want to really focus on a certain patch of woods to clear out, and I'll pull my sheep aside just because there's not enough in there for the cows to sustain on. Because, um, like I said, there's really no grass or forages in there yet but that's kind of a, a goal of mine so anyways so i guess that was this spring was my first lambing i lambed in april that was a huge success fast forward to this fall i butchered some of my first grass-fed lambs 
that was another great success and minus vaccines and the cost, I guess, for your forage and a little bit of mineral. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's really hardly zero input. So are you direct marketing all your lambs? Yes. Um, as of now I am, and I've actually got kind of connected with some other somewhat, uh, grass fed lamb producers and, and been buying some lambs off of them just cause my lamb or my U numbers are, are low and I'm selling, you know, my, my demand is way more than my supply. Oh yeah. So I'm kind of bringing them some, some weaning lambs and finishing them on my place. And yes, then I'm direct marketing selling, um, holes and, and halves mainly right now, actually in the process as of right now, um, I was on the phone with him yesterday of getting my, uh, wholesale or broker's license. And, uh, that way I've got, uh, I've got some pretty good opportunities coming up here to getting some, uh, farm local, uh, farm fresh stores and, uh, directing or marketing my meat through oh, them yes. and doing that. So like I say that that's all set up. Just waiting on the particulars to get in order oh, and, very nice. and hopefully by summer I'll be selling actually pastured pork, uh, this grass fed lamb and possibly some, um, meat chickens in there as well so oh very nice yes now what breed of sheep did you settle on yeah so i ended up doing katahdin oh okay um yep the, the first so that had been uh last winter i uh, bred them to a actually katahdin dorper cross ram um and so that'd be like the uh, lambs I'm, I'm breeding now and this year i went with just a straight katahdin ram so I guess you could say, you know, we're pretty much, there's a smaller percent of Dorper in there, but a heavily percented uh, Katahdin. How, how have you found the Dorper percentage in there? Does it um, really put more meat on your lambs? Um, I can't say that it did. And that's to be honest, why I went just straight back to Katahdin oh, okay. this past year. And, and I'm not going to give up on the Dorper cross really. Cause like you said, that was originally why I went with the Dorper cross trying to get a little bit more meat. Um, but I didn't see that being yes. the case. Like I said, that could have been the Ram. So I'm not giving up, um, by any means. Cause you know, I'm, I'm right. very, very happy with my meat. Uh, but like you say, a, a grass finished Katahdin lamb, you know, they're, they're dressing out about 60 pounds of meat there. Um, which, uh, you know, I, I feel like that's pretty good work cause they're killing about 95 pounds or to a hundred is when, oh, yes. you know, when we're harvesting. Yeah. So anyway, like I say, everything's not perfect on that end, but I, I feel really strongly we're going the right direction. Um, and I think it'll only keep going, getting better as years to come. Yeah. On your, sheep you're lambing in april and you're processing your lambs in the fall when in the fall yeah so we're we're pretty much having all of our lambs in two weeks a time which is super great um and that'd be the first week of april oh yes and then so the lambs that we're actually lambing and raising a hundred percent they're getting processed um, about eight months of age. Okay. And as a, and it kind of depends because it's so hard to get a to get a, a, a you know a butcher date with everybody being so backed up. <laughs> yes, it so is. So those, those numbers are kind of fluctuating. Um, like this this lambing that we're gonna have here in the spring, I've already got their appointment made for, and it's actually December, so they'll be a little bit bigger, oh, yeah. which is maybe I like I can't. I'm pretty interested to see waiting, you know, till December to see if we're going to get, uh, any more growth there towards the end. But, uh, right. and then, you know, the, the, we've got some, the, some of the, like, I guess feeder lambs that we're, that we're buying. They're actually the people that I'm getting them from are lambing in January. Um, which is, you know, four months ahead of us. So, uh, that, that kind of gives me two processing dates, you know, Right. So we're not just doing it once a year. So we're going to break that up a little bit and have a better supply. Very nice. Now, when you decided to go to sheep, what did your infrastructure on your farm look like? Yeah. So we, like I say, when I bought the place, the very first thing I did was put up fence. 
Um, the CRP contract had just ended and it, it, that all worked perfectly. So I put fence up and what we have for fence on our perimeter, which is a total overkill, but it's a um, six strand high tensile. Okay. Um, electric. It's running about, um, oh, eight and a half kilowatts or so, so 8,000 volts. Um, so it's super hot. Yes. Super, super hot, and that's great. But um, so, we like I say, I, I built the fence kind of before I even thought of sheep and before I even realized the type of cattle that I do and will have, which are super gentle. I mean, you can pretty much walk up and pet any of the cows that I have at any point. So the fence was super overkill. Um, like I say, it's all wood posts. I think they're spaced 30 foot apart. Um, so it would hold a lot of things, which so really don't have to worry about perimeter. And then uh, my cross fence, I have uh, in that 40 acres, I just have one cross fence and it's a three strand high tensile with fiberglass post. 40 foot apart, just a little inch and a half fiberglass post. Oh, okay. And, um, and that, and then like I said, my cross fence, I just put like a single wire bungee gate type type gate in there. Um, it just, it wasn't feasible financially to go spend, you know, hundred bucks or 120 bucks on a, on a gate when just a cross fence. So, and then, uh, as far as my watering, the only real water system I had originally was maybe a few hydrants up by the barn in the working facilities. Oh, yes. And I had one mirror fount. We kind of, I guess you could say we kind of have a winter hay feeding station or what's kind of turned into that when we had the uh, the rodeo stock. And when we had that, we put in, a, a, you know, a insulated automatic mirror fount water. So between those two things, watering was really not fun trying to you know move sheep and move cows once or twice a day without making a bunch of dead spots because i mean oh man i went out and bought probably 500 foot of garden hose or more originally and got a little uh what i got from my tank and i still use this today even with our new water system um it's just a 40 gallon rubber made uh tank with a bottom float in it and uh, works super good. So <clears throat> this past fall, actually, we we finally put in some pressurized water line um, right down the center of the farm, which is actually where our cross fence was. Oh yes. So we we went just down the down our cross fence and ran uh, quite a bit of water line and put in the uh, quick coupler uh, water plug-in deals. Oh, very good. About every. 300 foot, I think, is how we spaced them. So we have four or five of them in. And then, uh, you know, this, so so that just brings so many more opportunities to to be flexible on grazing. Um, oh, I, I've got some of that um, you know, above ground PEX pipe that comes in 300 foot rolls. Going to utilize that a little bit uh, to even, you know, during the grazing months anyway, we can run it any direction uh, we want and, and kind of get way out there if need be. So right, yes. You buried your uh, water line down the fence, basically. Yes, that's correct. With the uh, quick couplers on it. Yep. So we just set up like more or less little water meter housings with uh, I think six inch PVC pipe, and we just got caps for that, and uh, you can get in and out of them super easy. Oh, okay. Uh, we put a shut off, or we put two shut offs in that line just in case there's an emergency or something broke or what have oh, you. Very good. Um, so yeah. And I could say, I, you know, the, the most expensive deal was just the, we put one inch PVC underground there. The quick couplers are super cheap. I had some scrap six inch PVC pipe that we use for our, our housings there. And, and thing I, man, I think we, we did it on the day. I think we ran 1300 foot, I think is what we ended up doing. And so, I mean, it, which the ground worked well on our trench and everything. So it was, you know, I, 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 I haven't used it hardly maybe once or twice just because it turned winter on us so quick. But uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to start using it here in the next month or two. Oh, yes. Yeah. So anyway, and then like I say, we, we do have a, a pretty good-sized corral system that was there and working shoot. But as far as, you know, everything was made for cattle. 
So when we started trying to get our sheep flock and growing that, we're, we're definitely finding some holes in the system because um, sheep are pretty sneaky. They can, uh, they can get in pretty small places. So <laughs> when we've either had to vaccinate or, you know, uh, sort some, some ram lambs out to cut and, or even, you know, sorting our uh, butcher lambs out, it's it's not gone the easiest, uh, but we've made it work, I guess. Um, so that's that's kind of something we're looking for, probably even this year to. And I don't quite have a plan on how to transform, you know, our, our cattle facilities into into a sheep facility, to to you know to where we can utilize it for for both species but um i'm sure we'll figure something out we made it work oh i'm sure you will i feel your pain there that's that's been one of the biggest adjustments for our hair sheep i thought when we got them i thought naively that i could sort them the same way i sort cattle uh no bueno that that does not work at all yeah they're they're a total <laughs> different creature and so it it deteriorated into a wrestling match. I go in, I pin them up and I go in and grab what I need and I wrestle it out. And I'm pretty excited because with the last lamb crop, I sold it and I purchased a shoot that I've got uh, set up. In fact, I've been meaning to make a YouTube video with my setup now, but I'm pretty excited to use it. And I've got a little shoot that I can, with a sort gate on it. So I'm thinking there won't be as much wrestling with the sheep in the future. Yeah, that sounds exactly like how we sort do our stuff. So, <laughs> but you'll be in high cotton now. So oh yes, yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll get there. Maybe. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> Eventually, you know, every year I'd come in, I'd be like, "I'm not doing this next year." And then, sure enough, following year comes around, and and the sheep beat me up some more, and finally got to a point I. I bought one. Yeah, well, good deal. Now, on your sheep and moving them through, are you making paddocks um, with some poly braid, or are you using electro netting? What I'm doing there, and it's taken some time. I watch Greg Judy's YouTube channel a lot, and that's really what. Oh yes, guilty. That's really what got me going on the hair sheep deal, and I've tried to do my hair sheep very similar to how he raises his. Oh yes. So when I, I, uh, I started out, I started out with seven ewes. I went and got seven purebred Katahdin ewe lambs. And, um, that's what I started with. They weren't uh, familiar with electricity at all, uh, let alone polywire. Oh yeah. So what I done, um, at, at the time and point when I bought these ewes, my whole corral system was grown up in weeds, hadn't used it whatever. So I'm like, this will be perfect to, cause they, they couldn't really, they can get out of it. But if they're not pressured, they won't get out. Right. So I thought I'm going to, I'm going to break them into some poly wire. So what I did, uh, I got, which I had all the poly wire and I use, I do use poly braid. The, uh, the thickest deal oh, yeah. I got with the nine uh, metals in it. So it's, it's pretty hot. And I got, uh, you know, I put my step in post, Oh gosh, probably at that point, maybe six or eight feet apart. And oh, I ran yeah. three strands is what I done. And, and they found out pretty quick, you know, what it was. And they, they, I think with the three strands, I might've had one of them jump. It probably jumped over it to be honest. Um, so not a big deal. So once, once I moved them a couple of times with that, I went to two, then down to one. So over that whole period, Oh man, training them to poly wire—it probably took a couple months for sure. I would say, not to say I still didn't have trouble when I took them out to pasture. Yes, and with them trying to get through every once in a while, which not a big deal because I expected it. Um, but but now, like I said, I run them with my cows, and well, I don't know, I don't know how I got so blessed because. I don't know if I can thank the sheep or the cows, but I can run a single strand of poly wire and my step in post at about 16 to 18 inches, maybe 20 at the most. So not even two foot off the ground. And I can keep my sheep and my cows in together. Oh, very nice. Yes. And 
Yeah, and and which I there was some planning that went into that. I kind of trained my cows like I trained my sheep, except the opposite. I would lower my wire ever so often on my cow herd, and I was raising my wire on my sheep flock, and then finally I just put them together. Because um, where I was on my cow wire, they the sheep could go in and out underneath of it, not even think about touching it. Right. Whereas you know, the cows could walk over what the sheep really needed to be. So yeah. anyway, um, over a lot of uh, putting animals back into the correct paddock over several months and, and just kind of fighting with it a little bit, uh, we're, we're, we're to a point now to where it's kind of co-mingling very nicely. Knock on wood, because it could change tomorrow. <laughs> It could, but it sounds like it's going well right now. Now, I don't think we talked about what kind of cattle do you have? Yeah, um, nothing really specific. Um, what I, my, I guess you could say mostly Angus cross. Okay. Um, and I cross them, and, and they're crossed between a South Pole or a Hereford, either or. Oh, yes. So I have some, you know, percentage um south pole stuff percentage herford stuff and i actually do have a handful of longhorns that uh, more or less got gave to me for some reason i'm not sure how and um <laughs> anyway so i've been breeding those longhorns uh to south pole as well and this this will actually be this spring will be their first calving with the south pole oh yes um because when i, I just because I've had them for a year and a half, I guess, or whatever. But uh, the first, when I got them, that was bred to a registered longhorn. So I've got that calf crop calved and weaned and sold and all that. So so I'm pretty anxious to see what these calves are going to be like. I, I am too. I'm interested what that South Pole longhorn cross looks like and how it does. Yeah, I've talked to several of kind of my acquaintances that, uh, that have done it with Coriannes. Yes. And they've had really good success. So I think it'll be similar, uh, similar outcome. I've heard that as well. And you can get those cows fairly cheap. So, you know, it crosses my mind once in a while to try a few, but I haven't yet. Sure. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I think I probably would have jumped on that bandwagon too a little bit. But like I say, it kind of was thrown in my lap. So I took the opportunity. So. Uh, we'll we'll see. I think it'll be okay. But you're right about you know it's it's so much of a cost difference, and they're smaller framed. Oh yeah. Um, you know the the pretty pretty efficient cattle. So right, right. Now you mentioned earlier, uh, you have some tilled ground that you lease out, but you're able to plant some cover crops and graze. What are you planning for cover crops there? So we've tried a few different things. And like I say, this is a place that I work. Um, I, th I guess mostly the thing that we've had the great or the most success, success with would be ryegrass. Oh, yes. Um, we, we've done, um, we've tried to do some oats and, and, and some turnips and different things. And we haven't had great success with those. Um, and I think part of part of the reason the ryegrass is working, maybe some of the other stuff is, is you know, it, ryegrass just grows. It, it grows so <laughs> good for us here. Yes. And um, and what we've done on you know on that tilled ground, we've kind of just thrown it in there. I guess you should say um, we've not done a lot of prep work, or the you know the farmer has it because he's still farming really conventionally. Oh, he's okay. just letting us if you want to try. I'll give you the opportunity. Oh yeah. So I can't say that the cover crops are really benefiting our soil health just because he's coming in there and throwing all kind of fertilizer and chemical and what oh, have yeah. you on it. But I guess it's benefiting us as far as grazing, uh, grazing time. Oh yes. So we're, we're really kind of hoping to, hoping to change his mind on some things. Uh, we've got uh, a little piece of ground here. We're going to cut, kind of work with him this year and do some experimenting on to maybe let him see, you know, the difference in conventional and regenerative as far as on the row crop side. So, Oh, very good. Yeah. Several years here, we've done a, a, a Sudan grass mix, uh, Sudan cow peas, whatever. Um, so I can't think of what else we've done, but anyway, we had great success with Sudan here and we've done that a lot. Uh, we've, we've wet belled it, we've grazed it. Um, those are, you know, the two main things we do with it. We try to put in, uh, oh, 
probably at least 50 acres of it every year on our on our pasture or some areas of our pasture I should say and it, it's a great especially in tough years where we're maybe a little dry or something it's a great um, to put in and has given us a lot of relief on our on our other pastures having that in there are you putting that in with no-till yes okay very good Logan we've reached the part of our show for our overgrazing section it's our new section that we dive deep into one of your practices um, what are we going to talk about today you know um I would say, you know, on our, our, our hair sheep, in my opinion, and what I can see is probably um, the most beneficial to our farm in several in several ways. Um, so I, I would say we could probably talk about our sheep flock some more. Okay, let's dive in deeper. And one thing we mentioned was the economics of it. So you said you had... Um, considered cattle, considered your acreage, and figured sheep, and sheep just turns out to be better on paper than cattle for you. Tell us your numbers or, or how you got to that decision. Yeah, so, you know, what the, the first decision was, okay, do I want to mess with another entity on the, on the farm? Right. And it was pretty evident that I needed something else there to utilize our wooded ground or our rougher pasture. And, and something I guess I left out, we're, we're just, uh, we're on coal mine country and there's a, there's actually a coal mine just a half mile south of us. Oh, okay. And not only do we have the coal mine, we have a pipeline that runs through our whole property. And uh, four or five years ago, when they mined under us, they dug that pipeline up, which was probably our best pasture that we had. So, when I say I'm starting from scratch, I was literally starting from scratch. They left me with a blank slate of clay. Oh, yes. No topsoil, no nothing. So, nothing, no. <laughs> so there was several acres there that I have been really struggling with. Oh, yeah. Um, just trying to get fertility there, trying to get something. Unrolled a tremendous amount of hay. So I thought, you know, um, we're, we're fighting with a lot of Forbes there and, and the sheep just eat it up so but between that piece of ground and and the amount of wooded area that we had it just made sense for me to go with the hair sheep i did go back and forth between pastured pigs in the woods or, or wooded pigs however you want to say it right in the sheep i ended up actually doing both but since we're talking about sheep we'll leave the pigs out of it okay um going forward okay i knew i wanted the sheep i knew that'd be a good entity to have to utilize what I had to offer an animal. Um, so like I said, watched Greg Judy a bunch, a whole bunch, did a lot of research online, read some books. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, subscribed to Stockman grass farmer oh, magazine yeah. or paper, uh, which I think every grazer should have that. Oh, I just, agree. Uh, that's a, that's a great, that is a great thing to read every month. I look forward to it. Um, anyway, so there's always several articles in there um, about sheep and whatnot. So I got all of my data together as far as, um, you know, stocking rates, uh, breeding, gestation, um, sicknesses they could have, things to look for, just anything that entails a you. I pretty much had it in front of me. So I broke it down. So for, for every one cow, you can technically run five sheep per that cow yes so okay i got that down but but then you think well shoot you know that's that's only five lambs that are worth you know a hundred bucks versus one one calf that you know could be essentially worth six seven hundred dollars how does that make sense well you you know you, you and this is on a lambing once a year basis oh yes i knew that from the get-go i was gonna lamb once you know um I was going to lamb in the spring. I wasn't going to have to worry about lamb in the barn, winter, whatever. I knew. So from the get-go, I was figuring everything on lambing once a year in the spring. One lambing season, yes. So anyways, um, then I started looking at it. Okay, so that's just one. So then you figure your, your ewes are going to have, we'll say, a lamb and a half for every ewe for on average. I think last spring we averaged 
uh, just a little over that, right at two lands. We actually had a really good landing season, right at two lands per oh, year. Oh, very good. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we did good on that. But um, anyway, so we'll figure a lamb and a half. Um, so then you you look at all that, and then, okay, so they're going to technically have, we'll figure on, you know, we had 10, 10 U's um, times, you know, lamb and a half. That's, that's 15 lands on the ground. And that's, and you're looking at, you know, that, your 10, uh, your 10 U's, you can run two cows. Yes. Well, okay, that's that's two, that's two calves, okay, um, versus your your fifteen lambs, so that makes sense. And then I started looking at okay, what are these? Whether it be the calves versus the lambs, where is where is the profit at there? And then I started looking at local, you know, sell barn prices. I started looking at uh, grass fed meat prices, um, just. You know, getting some summaries and some estimates about what my profit is going to be, more or less for two calves or for fifteen lambs. Um, and so I said, okay, it really, it 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 makes sense. I'm you know more or less going to double my profit with these lambs. It was black and white. It was black and white. And on top of that, they're going to eat everything my cows aren't going to eat. And on top of that, I can grow my herd or have something ready to harvest in, we'll say, eight months versus 20, doing everything on a grass-fed basis. Um, and then all of my ewe lambs that I'm keeping, I can rebreed, and they're going to lamb at a year old versus two years old. I mean, just everything was half the time and way less input and more profit oh yes that is uh so that's how i figured it really um and like i said like i hit on earlier you know um the only thing like my sheep i last winter my sheep flock i set some hay out a few different times and they would not touch it <laughs> at all they went out and ate dried oak leaves Thorn, the what leaves were left on a thorn tree or bush or a blackberry bush, and that was it. They came up for water about once a week, and um, yeah, and they were they were so fat come lambing. I mean, granted they were bred, but they were so fat they couldn't hardly walk. I said, "Oh my gosh!" And my cows, you know, went through however much hay. You know, after they went through their stockpile, they ate however much hay, and I said, "Wow, okay." And then this winter that we're going through now um same story you know i've got twice as many as what i started out with and uh same story they come up from water about once a week and stay out there in the woods and eat all the leaves that are on the ground granted we did get uh, about a foot of snow uh, the last week and a half and it's still here and the last two nights it's been super super cold and i've gave them a small square bale of hay oh, just yeah. to give them a little supplement through the night. But during the day, they're out there, you know, we're talking a foot of snow at least. They're out there digging holes and eating the grass that's under the snow. Oh, yes. We, you know, got some of that storm too. And I, I takes me a couple hours each day just tending to the cattle. And the sheep, I've tried to help them, but they just ignore me. I did put a bell of hay out for them, and occasionally they come up to eat it. But like yesterday morning, we were getting the last of the snow. I take that back, maybe in two days ago. But the snow was coming down, and I was out there, and they have access to a barn, which I thought, oh, surely they'll be in there. No, they're out in the pasture grazing. I'm like, I'm going back to the house if you guys are out doing that. <laughs> That's exactly right. And and the sheep are just one uh of our livestock that just continues to amaze me. Once you think I've seen it all, like I said, out there, I was feeding a roll of hay to the cows and there was in snow drifts that were up to my thigh almost digging holes yes. and eating. And it's just, it's, it's great. The snow was very dry and fluffy. So if it was icy, right, it would right. be a different story. Um, it's not icy. Uh, so it's, it's kind of easy to move around, but they are out there just working their butts off to graze. 
and could care less about any supplementation. It, it, it is just something else. I have to agree. I, um, they amaze me as well. I'm, I'm always shocked how, and I hate to use the word easy because they do require their own attention and, and they're a different livestock than other livestock. So you've got to learn how to move them and do anything with them, but they are so easy for us. They're out in the pasture and they, they lamb for us and they just keep going without much from us. That's exactly right. And you know, a lot of people have trouble with feet and, and parasite issues. Not ever. And not ever. And I, I might get into a bind one day where I have some, uh, but we'll say in the last year and a half or two, um, I've not dewormed once. I've not trimmed the first hoof. Oh, yes. I've not done none of that. I, I, give, I vaccinate them once a year and lamb, period. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you what I did on the sheep. I purchased a flock and I had... Uh, a few ewes come up limping, I immediately got rid of them. And any that that just required extra attention, I just got rid of them. And that was a little difficult in the beginning because you just spend the money and you get them going. Um, I had trouble finding a flock to buy and, and I found this flock and I thought, oh boy, I'm jumping in. And then now if that happened today, I'd been a little bit more selective and been like, I'm not sure I want all those. However, I got them, I culled them hard, and now I've got no worries about, I, I never have one come up limping. I don't, I haven't wormed in or dewormed in ages. I don't know when I last did, which just amazes me. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, that, that totally makes sense. You, you just drop all this money on the flock and thinking you're going to sell some coals already, but it, it, you know, oh, like yeah. said, it pays off in the end. It, it does. It's hard it's to do, it. but. If you can do that, it makes a big difference. That's exactly right. So, yeah, um, you know, I as far as the sheep go, I you know I'm always I produce quite a bit of freezer beef and things like that. So you know I'm always going to have a cow calf herd. But um, one thing that I just want to see really excel and grow is my sheep flock. Oh yes. Um, and and if it if it does half as good in the next five or ten years or whatever as it does it done in the last two. Um, it'll be really a blessing. It really will. Very good. Yes. Logan, we've reached the time in our podcast for our famous four. It's the same four questions we ask of all of our guests. And our uh, first question is what's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource? You know, I think you learn something so much different from each author in each yes. book. It'd be hard to say my favorite because I've, I've taken away so much. Um, from each book I've read, the the one book that I actually just finished two days ago was uh, Greg Judy's No Risk Ranching. Oh yeah, uh, talks a lot about uh, how to properly lease and and uh, set up paddocks and and lease ground and different things. That was really beneficial because it just uh, it's pretty relevant to me what I'm doing some things right now on some lease ground. So that was super beneficial. And just honestly, I, I probably learn more every month from the Stockman Grass Farmer than I have you know, consistently um, oh, yeah. than I have any book. Those are, are both great resources. I, I reread that No Risk Ranching every once in a while. In fact, I just reread it at the beginning of this year. Okay. Then, yes, the Stockman Grass Farmer is always a great resource. Yep. You know, and, and another, which, you know, another thing, it's not a book, but, um, you know, we, we've went to a lot of, a lot of, uh, grazing schools oh yes you know that they're kind of pricey i i that's 100 percent for sure but man alive just the networking you can do with other farmers across the country really um is is worth a lot oh, yeah we've uh, listened to dr alan williams speak several times and uh you know we've been to more or less the same exact school two or three times but between the people that are attending uh, what he's got his on on his mind that day, the questions asked, it's a totally different. School, oh yes, realistically, and uh, and just always, always going over, even if this is, is the same thing, it's you're just refreshing it all in your brain, and you know what you're going through at that time that you go to that school is different from the last time you went, 
So you're going to have different questions. The things that are talked about are going to hit your mind differently uh, to where it might get you out of a box you're kind of stuck in. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of, of grazing schools. We've been to soil health academies with understanding ag. Um, just so many great opportunities. If, if, you, can, if you can afford it and, and you got time to go, it don't matter. You know, I'd highly recommend those for sure, aside from books. Very good. Our second question, Logan, is what tool could you not live without on your farm? Oh, goodness. Um, aside from polywire and step-in post, um, I would probably have to say uh, any of my ranch horses or my uh, cattle dog. We, uh, I actually raise and train ranch horses oh, yeah. kind of on the side, and, and we utilize them a um like if we're grazing yearlings and stuff, we, we actually do all of our uh, all of our cattle work on horses. So you know we'll uh, if we were, we're bringing everything up to vaccinate or do whatever to, we'll you know we'll herd them with horses and and uh, if we got one with pink eye or, or yearling that's got a respiratory issue, we'll actually go out there and rope it, lay it down, and, and doctor it right there. Oh yeah. Um and and. When I first started doing that, I'm like, God, just thinking about stressing issues. I thought, man, I don't know, but it is so less stressful. And I, it, it, cause like if you've got one yearling, the doctor, you're messing with him and not the hundred others. Oh yeah. And they just stand there and look at you. And, and, you know, our, all of our cattle are, are pretty calm. Cause like we're out here all the time with them, moving them. So they see us and, and, and whatnot. And, but like our daily moves, you know, we'll, we'll just get on a four wheeler and, and roll wire and roll wire. And, and, uh, really as far as, and like I say, unless we're gathering pretty much can go out there on foot or anything else and holler for them and they'll be right there in your pocket. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I would say for sure. Probably one of my horses, my dogs. Oh yes. Our third question. What do you wish you knew when you started down this path or, what would you tell someone just getting started on their grass journey? What I wish I knew. Um, boy, that's hard to say. Um, but what I could definitely tell somebody is never stop learning or trying new things. Oh, yeah. Um, you have to make mistakes to learn. And mistakes are a good thing in my mind because if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying. Um, you know, I, I just I think you should read. You should talk to other grazers experienced or, or new, um, go to as many classes, just listen, look, pay attention, observe, um, no matter what you're doing. Like I say, just try, don't be, don't be afraid to fail, to be completely honest. Don't be afraid to fail. Yes. Excellent advice there. Yes. I, I make plenty of mistakes and, and I plan to make a few more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, this grazing thing is addicting for me. I just, I can't wait to, to try something new or to, you know, see what is going to work or what's not. A lot of times I get myself in a bind uh, time-wise, not having enough time to try to do everything. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's exciting. It's just plum exciting. That's all there is to it. Yes. Where can others find out more about you? Yeah, so we have... Uh, I'm honestly not very big on social media or anything like that, but here recently I finally broke down and got a Facebook. And um, so we are on Facebook. Oh, yeah. We are on Facebook under uh, Burnt Hill Cattle Company. Um, so you can find us there. And uh, my phone number, my email's on that. Obviously, you can message me through that. Um, anytime we have any meat sales or, you know, I try to – It'll be on there. Um, yeah, just just a lot of that's where that's where it all happens, I guess, is Facebook. So very good for sure. And actually, I, I've got I've got the Burnt, Burnt Hill page there, and then the place that I uh, manage here is Faraway Farms and Arena. And uh, anyway, that's on there as well. So there's always stuff between the two. Oh, okay. Going on whether it's just videos and movies or or new things we're trying out and or meat for sale, whatever you got. We will post links to uh, your Facebook pages on our show notes. So if anybody wants to get there, they can. Logan, we really appreciate you coming on to the podcast and sharing about your journey. We've enjoyed it. Yes, sir. I'm very happy to be here and uh, appreciate you having me on. It's It's been a good time and uh, 
hopefully, um, you know, we'll through what you're doing here, we'll inspire some new grazers and just get the word out about regenerative ag and, and what we really need to do to to uh, kind of save our soils and improve our forages. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Logan. We covered a wide range of topics and discussed sheep quite a bit. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, share this episode as well as leave us a review and some and a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, if you want to leave a comment about the episode, you can do that at grazinggrass.com. On each episode page, there's room for comments. And as we mentioned before, if you click on one of the links at the website to purchase a book mentioned in the podcast from Amazon, we get a small fee or a small amount of money back. And we appreciate you supporting the podcast. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer, and you'd like to share about your journey, go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form, and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content, monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. Until next time, keep on grazing grass.